This is a continuation of Mass Work by the Communist Party of the Philippines. B. Propaganda and Education Work 1. Why is propaganda work important to our mass work? Propaganda work is important because through propaganda we are able to reach the broad masses, organized and unorganized, in order to express, clarify, and animate the revolutionary analysis, objectives, and tasks at every period, stage, and place. In this manner, the party is able to unify the thinking, sentiments, and actions of the masses. Propaganda work is not reserved for a few specialists. This is conducted by every party unit and member at every opportunity that they are able to mingle with the masses. Conducting propaganda is important in order to draw the party closer to the masses and for the masses to be able to perform well in their role in the revolution. In order for the content of our propaganda to be correct, it is necessary for everyone to understand the line, program, and policies of the party, because these will guide our analysis of the facts. In order for our propaganda to be appropriate, it is necessary to be close to the masses. We will be able to draw from them the information which will provide freshness, scope, and relevance to our analyses. The content and style of propaganda must suit only the present level and tasks of the masses with whom we are collaborating. It is only by associating and integrating with the masses that the units of the party and army are able to provide comprehensive and timely studies and analyses of the conditions of the masses and the places in which we operate. It is only in this manner that we are able to give our propaganda correct content, that our propaganda carries and reflects the conditions, aspirations, and ideals of the masses and the people. It is also only in this way that we are able to ensure that the calls, policies, and program of action which we are propagating are correct and have a firm basis. Our propaganda work has three interrelated tasks. One, to expose the enemies of the revolution and to oppose their anti-people schemes. Two, to clarify the line, program policies, and the means of revolutionary action. And three, to analyze and to illustrate the life and the struggle of the masses. We expose to the masses the root causes of their problems, and we show them who their real enemies are. Based on social investigation, we identify the principal representatives of the basic problems of every class, sector, place, and period. We analyze and oppose every scheme of the enemy to assert its reactionary rule and to suppress or derail the advance of the revolution. We also repudiate reformism, terrorism, and other counter-revolutionary ideas and schemes. It is also the role of propaganda to popularize the calls of the party in order for the masses to understand them, unify around them, and carry them out in their own actions. We expound on the basis of the calls, and we also teach the means for carrying them out. Our propaganda illustrates the life and struggle of the masses in order to heighten their revolutionary qualities and to share their experiences in order to form a broad and deep unity amongst themselves and to develop confidence in their own strength. Two. What are the means and forms of revolutionary propaganda? The basic means of revolutionary propaganda are determined by the mass line and the relationship of the general and particular analyses and calls. From the masses, we gather the concrete, particular, and fresh data and events, which we analyze and bring back to the masses in a synthesized form in order to be useful for the practical struggle. 
Apart from the information derived from social investigation, it is also important to derive data from research and readings. Propaganda relates the general objectives, tasks, and direction with the particular objectives, tasks, and means. The general line and calls may be the emphasis, but these are particularized according to the masses with whom we are addressing. The particular analysis and calls may be the emphasis, but these are related to the general line and tasks. It is necessary to attend to both secret and open propaganda work. In clandestine propaganda, we are able to conduct the broadest and deepest discussion and express the most advanced calls. According to what conditions allow, we give this an open form. In open propaganda, it is necessary to become creative in striving to balance the legal limitations with our task to reach the biggest number of people with the revolutionary line. There are many forms of propaganda which may be utilized and developed. Mass publications, handbills, mass meetings, group discussions, slogan painting, posters, comics, house meetings, play, song, and poetry productions, dance, broadcast, video, and films, and many others are commonplace. We must also create and utilize spaces within the mass media controlled by the enemy, such as newspapers, magazines, radio, and television stations. In addition to being correct and appropriate, our propaganda must also be effective. Effective propaganda is live, clear, and sharp because it is rooted in the actual life of the masses and uses their language. The combination of various forms also gives an exceeding effectiveness, so does the regular, frequent, and rapid addressing of issues which crop up in the course of mass work. All revolutionaries must use every opportunity to conduct propaganda among the masses in order to clarify the objectives, plans, policies, and the tasks of the revolution and the masses. We must not allow any revolutionary to be separated from the masses. Everyone must participate in the practical movement, organize the masses, lead their struggle, participate in production, and take part in the joys and sorrows of the masses. Not to carry this out is a form of liberalism. 3. Why is education work important to our mass work? Basically, the objective of propaganda and education work is the same. Raise the level of revolutionary consciousness of the masses in order for them to participate actively and wholeheartedly in the revolutionary movement. Education is the formal, concentrated, and systematic study of the revolution by the organized masses. Education work places their participation in the revolutionary struggle on a sturdy theoretical foundation. Education also develops the capacity and skill of the masses in order for them to carry out their revolutionary work and tasks more effectively. Providing education cannot be separated from the establishment and consolidation of mass organizations. If the masses are able to study systematically and regularly, the ideological and political outlook takes root among them, which will guide their every action and their long-term development in the revolution. Their capacity and skill to carry out and complete more numerous and more complex revolutionary work will continue to develop and broaden. It is also necessary to propagate among the masses the results of the summing up of the work of the revolutionary movement, especially the positive and negative lessons, strengths and weaknesses, successes and setbacks. The masses must conduct a detailed study of the lessons from their own revolutionary experience in order to persevere along the correct path and to correct the errors as a result of the left and right opportunist lines. This will serve as a guide and a firm footing for the further strengthening and development of the revolutionary mass movement. 
The content of mass education is comprehended better by the masses when it is linked to their own revolutionary experience. Four, what are the types of mass education that we provide? The principal types of mass education that we provide are the study of the special courses and the study of the general course. The special mass courses clarify the history, character, and revolutionary solution to the principal problems of the particular classes or sectors that we organize and mobilize. The special mass course for the peasant movement discusses the problem of feudalism and the agrarian revolution. The special mass course for the workers' movement discusses the union movement and the strike movement. The special mass course for the women's movement discusses their problems and their liberation. And the special mass course for the youth movement discusses the problems of youth and the correct orientation of their movement. Other special mass courses may also be outlined based on need. For example, for the fisherfolk movement or for the middle forces. On the other hand, the general mass course studies the history of the Philippines, the three basic problems of the country at the present time, and the basic principles and task of the People's National Democratic Revolution. After the special and general mass courses, it is necessary for the masses to begin immediately the study of Marxist-Leninist principles. For example, we may discuss the basic attitude of a proletarian revolutionary in relation to serving the people, to criticism and self-criticism, to tasks and sacrifice, the basic principles of democratic centralism, collective leadership and mass line, social investigation and class analysis, and certain principles of dialectical and historical materialism. The mass courses, and especially the introductory study of Marxism-Leninism, prepares the advanced individuals to become candidate members of the party. Together with this, the masses are given education in developing their capacity and skill in leading mass organizations, propaganda work, developing production, health and medicine, culture, literacy, livelihood supplements, introductory defense training and security, and others. It is important for our mass education work to have a program for systematically developing the consciousness and capacity of the masses, mass activists, and those targeted for recruitment as members of the party. We must make sure we allot some time for carrying out these education plans. This is one essential revolutionary work and task which we must not neglect. C. Organizing the Masses 1. What are the two most important principles we must remember in organizing the masses? The first is to base oneself and to trust the masses. This is the basic principle, the mass line, that clarifies the correct style in organizing the masses. It is necessary to allow the masses to learn to take actions based on their own initiative and willingness to assume tasks. What the cadres of the party must do is guide the masses and not to assume all the work. It is necessary to base oneself and trust the masses in order to allow for the emergence of the greatest number of people ready for various tasks of the revolution. We must always remember that when the masses understand and embrace the objectives of the revolution and the formation of their own strength, they will become creative and persistent in their own actions, and leaders and activists will emerge from their own ranks. Let us not presume that only a few people can lead. But us combat commandism and tailism in organizing the masses. The second principle is the solid organization of the masses for revolutionary struggle. What this means is the establishment of broad, sturdy, and closely knit organizations with a leadership that is unified and healthy and rooted in the mass membership. It is not enough to have only influence among the masses in order to advance the revolution steadily. 
It is necessary to organize the masses solidly in order to unify them sturdily and prepare them for all-rounded struggle against their class enemies. If the masses are not organized solidly, their struggle will advance only up to a limited extent, and they will persist only in certain conditions. Our objective is for the masses to become a sturdy bastion of the revolution. The leadership of the mass organizations must be composed of the most reliable, most vibrant, and most respected leaders, meaning to say, those who hail from the basic classes and strata, who have an excellent record of humanity, who can be trusted, and who have a genuine concern for fellow human beings. It is necessary to unify them through collective study of the correct line and policies, and to educate them in collective leadership of the mass organizations. The leadership will always remain healthy as long as erstwhile leaders who do not develop, are backward or are rotten, are replaced by fresh, progressive individuals from the membership. This leadership must be linked firmly with the mass membership, must consult them on important problems and decision-making, and must rely on the unified will and action of the membership principally to carry out its tasks. Solid organizations can be formed only in the midst of mass struggles. Two. What are the preliminary steps in organizing the masses? The first step in organizing the masses in the barrios, factories, communities, schools, or offices is to locate reliable contacts. Preliminary contacts may be products of mass work in other places, relatives, our friends or acquaintances, or those of other comrades, or those of the family of a comrade. Preliminary contacts may be formed into coordinating groups in order to carry out tasks collectively. As much as possible, the preliminary contacts must hail from the class or sector to which we are giving principal stress. They must be honest, have an excellent record of humanity, know a lot of people, and be enthusiastic in carrying out tasks. When in a barrio, strive to find contacts from the exploited peasants or rural workers. If there are none, the preliminary contacts may also hail from the middle forces. But at the earliest opportunity, we must allow those contacts who hail from the basic classes to emerge. Before we give them work, it is necessary to conduct a detailed investigation of the preliminary contacts, especially those who do not hail from the basic forces of the revolution. It is the task of the preliminary contacts to link us up with other individuals from the class or sector that we would like to mobilize. They can assist in the preliminary social investigation, class analysis, and preliminary propaganda among the masses. It is also their task to provide us with information on the movements of the enemy, as well as the unreliable elements in the area. In the countryside, it is also their task to safeguard the security of comrades while inside, as well as while leaving, the barrio. We must not divulge to the preliminary contacts, the overall plan for the area, and the progress of the mass organizing. Although some, or all of them, may become part of organizations that will be formed in the succeeding stage, it is not yet certain, and will still be based on their future actions. 3. Why must we establish organizing groups and organizing committees? When do we form them? We must establish the organizing groups and organizing committees step by step, in order to select and train the mass leaders, to form the backbone and foundation of the mass organizations, and to launch the actions and struggles that the masses are capable of doing. We set up the groups and committees in the various classes and sectors that we want to organize. In the barrios, we form the organizing groups and organizing committees of the peasants, women, youth, cultural activists, and wherever there is a basis, fisherfolk and workers. 
In the cities, we form the organizing groups and organizing committees of the workers in the factories, of the community in the urban poor communities, organizing groups and organizing committees in the schools. We form the organizing groups based on division of the class and sector, and division of the various parts of the territory. In the countryside, we form the organizing groups of the various classes and sectors in the sitios and various parts of the barrio. In the factory, we form them in every department or section, in the communities, in every street or important segment, and in the schools, in every college or important part of it. In organizing the masses, we must follow the revolutionary class line strictly. In a typical farming barrio, those who may join the organizing group of the peasants must hail from the ranks of poor peasants, rural workers, and the lower middle peasants. In a fishing barrio, those who may join the organizing group must hail from the ranks of poor and middle fisherfolk, fishing workers, and from the ranks of the exploited peasants and rural workers if there are any. In setting up the organizing groups of the youth in the countryside, we may allow those who hail from the upper strata of the peasantry, but the emphasis remains on those who hail from the ranks of the exploited peasant youth. In the communities of the urban poor, we must rely principally on the workers and semi-proletarians, and secondarily on the youth students. In the schools, the organizing groups must be formed by the students, teachers, and lower-level school employees. The organizing groups begin to set up the organized strength of the people in the most important parts of the place that we are organizing. They link us up with the broad masses. They propagate among the masses the objectives of the revolutionary movement through propaganda and study. They lead the preliminary actions of the masses. Their principal task is to arouse and unify the oppressed and exploited classes, to recruit new members, and to begin the transformation of the legal organizations or the formation of new organizations within their scope. We form the organizing committees in the sectors which already have standing organizing groups in the various important parts of a given scope, and where advanced individuals capable of leading mass organizations have already emerged. In the factories, communities, and schools in the cities, we may first form the organizing committee and subsequently form the organizing groups if we are able to gather the mass activists who have proven themselves to be reliable in other places. The organizing committees will lead the organizing groups, mobilize them on the basis of set tasks, and will continue to develop them. Under the leadership of the committee, the work of deepening the social investigation will continue. The transformation of open organizations or the setting up of new ones will go on. So will the invigoration of mass actions and struggles. And so will the study of the political line and Marxist-Leninist principles. In the countryside, the organizing committees will form the committees for organization, education, economy, health, and defense. In the beginning, the committees and organizing groups of peasants will mobilize as leagues of poor peasants, rural workers, and lower middle peasants. Once they have developed, advanced individuals from the other levels of middle peasants will slowly be brought into the organizing groups. The principal basis for accepting them is their support for the anti-feudal struggle. The committees and organizing groups are secret organizations. They must excel in clandestine tactics and means of mobilization, while leading and participating in the open organizations and mass mobilizations. 4. How do the full-fledged mass organizations, revolutionary committees, and units of the People's Militia emerge in the barrio? 
full-fledged mass organizations are set up in the barrio, if there are already strong and sturdy committees and organizing groups, if the influence and leadership of the committees and organizing groups is already widespread and rooted among the masses, and if there are already proven leaders who are capable of leading, and who are reliable, and who have a sufficient grasp of the line and policies of the party and revolution, especially with regards to the anti-feudal struggle and the armed struggle. The full-fledged mass organization will be formed by means of listing the members and the election of its leadership. When conditions demand it, we may digress from this procedure as long as we can assure the participation and approval of the masses in the formation of the organization and its leadership. Once the full-fledged mass organizations of the revolutionary classes and sectors are formed, and there are already party branches that are capable of leading the revolutionary movement in the barrio, and there are already local units of the New People's Army NPA, that cover the scope of the locality and local people's militia, we may now form the Revolutionary Committee. This will stand as the local organ of democratic political power under the leadership of the party. This will be formed by gathering representatives of the party, the basic masses, the people's army, and allies. Even at the level of the Barrio Organizing Committee, we must already begin to provide politico-military training to men and women who are ready and are capable of conducting military work and to form units of the people's militia. In every typical sitio or barrio center, we may form a squad or a half-squad of the people's militia armed with indigenous weapons or weapons provided for their disposition. It is the task of the people's militia to lead in providing revolutionary peace and order and in providing security to the revolutionary forces in the barrio. It also carries out tasks assigned to it by the party or by a higher command of the People's Army in relation to the plans and military operations of full-time and regular forces of the People's Army. Although they have military tasks, members of the People's Militia still attend their day-to-day -day livelihood duties. They comprise the core of the armed strength of the people in the barrio, together with the defense groups of mass organizations. As enforcers of revolutionary laws and justice, the NPA, the People's Militia, and the Defense Units must study the basic democratic rights of the people and individuals, and they must understand the correct principles and methods in carrying out their appropriate tasks in civil and criminal cases. 5. How are the basic units of the party formed among the masses? Even at the level of the organizing groups and organizing committees, we must already begin to provide Marxist-Leninist education to the advanced individuals. We can already tell who are enthusiastic in accepting the ideological line of the party. We continue to analyze the actions and participation of the active individuals and whoever else displays honesty, enthusiasm, and skill in organizing. We ensure that the mass activists are given systematic political education in preparation for their study of the basic party course. After a certain period of time has lapsed, based on their record of actions and participation in study, we can recruit the most advanced among them and set up a basic unit of the party. At the basic level, party branches will be formed, and likewise, party groups in the mass organizations. The branches and groups ensure the party's leadership of the mass movement, and welds the sturdiest link between the party and the masses. The party branches and groups continue to temper and strengthen themselves by continuing the study of the line and policies of the party, by leading the mass movement, and by recruiting new members. 
In the factories, we dissolve the organizing groups and organizing committees. Once we have set up the party branches and party groups inside the union and important parts of the enterprise, and all of the activists have already entered the union. We also dissolve the organizing groups and organizing committees of the community and the school in the cities once we have set up the party branch and the party groups in the mass organizations and other important parts of a given scope. In the large schools, party organizations may be developed until the section committee and the branches in the colleges are formed. In developing the work in the communities, party branches may be formed based on street blocks. 6. How do mass activists emerge? Mass activists are individuals among the ranks of the masses who are active in revolutionary work and in advancing the mass movement. Numerous mass activists will emerge if the masses with whom we link and mobilize are encouraged to take initiative, are assisted in raising their political consciousness, are given concrete guidance, are aided in summing up their own experience, and are supported in resolving their personal problems. An important objective of mass work is the emergence and training of numerous activists in the countryside and in the cities. In order to carry out the numerous and heavy tasks of the revolution, we need to learn how to combine a few experienced cadres with numerous mass activists. This is a concrete expression of trusting and basing ourselves among the masses. Even at the stage of preliminary contacts and forming coordinating groups, the emergence and training of mass activists already begins. Even at this stage, we already select those who have initiative, have a good record of humanity, relate well with others, are responsible, are disciplined, and have dedication. We train and provide them with preliminary studies in order for them to carry out the tasks they face. We continue to raise their capacity by continuously providing studies, by assessing and summing up their work, and by helping them in their problems with the work, in their studies or personal problems. We test them in more important undertakings, and we elevate their tasks and responsibilities in the work or organization. As our mass work and revolutionary activities develop and become more complex, the need for more leaders slash mass activists who can manage different lines of work becomes more important. We need a program for the emergence of mass activists that can ensure that there will always be those who can attend continuously to the different lines of work. This program includes the criteria for selection, education and training programs, and assistance in work problems as well as personal problems. We must ensure that the mass activists have sufficient skill and readiness because it is not enough to have only good intentions in the practical movement. 7. Why is the combination of legal and illegal forms of organization necessary? In the countryside or in the cities, the illegal party and the secret or illegal mass organizations form the backbone of the mass movement. This is where we find in concentration and where we can develop, to the hilt, the most active, the most basic leaders and individuals of the mass movement. The illegal party is the leading force at the core, guiding the advance of the revolutionary mass movement step by step. Without a broad and sturdy secret movement, the mass movement will not be able to persevere in the correct direction, especially in the face of enemy attack or difficulty. In the countryside, even though the illegal organizations can lead the broad masses directly, it is still necessary to form the open and legal organizations. Because clandestine organizations are organizations which must be secret in the eyes of the enemy and people who cannot be trusted, it is also necessary to have open organizations. 
The open organizations serve as the channel of our legal mobilizations, a shelter for our secret organizations, a means for reaching and linking up with the other classes and sectors when we can draw closer, and a tool for the masses to take advantage of all the possibilities in order to advance their own revolutionary actions. Informing the open and legal mass organizations in the countryside, we must always bear in mind linking its actions with the tasks of the armed struggle and the agrarian revolution. At all times, the legal organizations must not be the channel for the illegal anti-feudal demands. We must be on guard against allowing the illegal and the secret to drag in the legal. In the cities, the need to set up open and legal mass organizations is more acute. These open and legal formations serve as the channel to reach, mobilize, and for the party to lead the broad masses in the cities. That concludes part two. I expect the next part to also be the last, covering sections D and E. Remember that you Yes, you can get the menagerie before the rest of the world for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash epic incredulity. And for now, comrades, enjoy ye epoch.